This evening we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, as we come to the end of the temple furnishings of those vessels that would be placed in the tabernacle. The last few weeks we've gone through all of the furnishings, the consecration of the priests, the the ceremonies, basically the worship of the Old Testament. This is how the Old Testament worshipped, and we've discussed the meaning of these things, and we come to that in chapter 30. As we look at the altar of incense, the census that was taken, and as well the oils and incense that were to be offered, the bronze basin as well, and its cleansing. Before we turn to these Old Testament forms of worship, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Dear Lord, we pray that you would reveal your word to us, that we would understand what you were accomplishing in the Old Testament. Our desire to seek you in the Old Testament is that we might find you, that we might see Christ all the the clearer, having seen what he has fulfilled. And so we pray that you would help us devote our attention to your word, that we would understand it, that we would see its beauty. Help us to, and grant to us this great gift, we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 30. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and the two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, 
with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it in on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and anica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for the holy. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. This sends the reading of God's word. When I was younger, I made a model of an engine. Perhaps you've seen these models before. They're plastic. You can see through them. The design of it is to see how an engine works. Perhaps, boys and girls, you've seen these models or have made them yourselves. Each piece you make, you can see through, so you can see how the engine operates, what turns, how a piston turns, what moves. And if you want to, or, or you can think of it in this way, just like that model wasn't a real engine, the engine wouldn't run a car, it wouldn't operate anything, it was, uh, for its purpose was to teach, to illustrate something, and to show how something worked. In a very similar way, this tabernacle and all that we're reading about, all these furnishings, illustrated how God was to be worshipped. It had a point. And just like that model showed us how it operated, the Old Testament structure, tabernacle, and all of what we just read shows us Christ, shows us redemption. It is in that sense this clear plastic model of the heavenly reality. We've seen that as we've gone through these chapters. The tabernacle is difficult to us in our lives. We don't encounter it. We don't see it. We don't worship in it. In fact, these ceremonies have been, have been erased for us, and yet their meaning remains, and it's helpful for us to see as we pull back heaven, as we see what God was illustrating. In fact, 
We will not understand to the full what Christ has done if we don't understand the Old Testament worship. If we don't understand what each element of the tabernacle was portraying, we will fail to see what Christ was portraying. All the cleansing, set-apart holiness, the threats of punishment that are all through this text, the blessings that came from it, what each element of the tabernacle did. Here was intercessory prayer. Here was atonement. This is the veil separating. Here's the ark of the testimony. Here's where the law is kept. All these things that reveal Christ to us. That's why we study the Old Testament. We study the Old Testament so that when the true tabernacle comes in Christ, we can say, I know what they're doing. I know what's going on there. I see it. As God has come as that true tent of meeting, the place to meet and encounter God is Christ himself. And we see that and can better understand him by better understanding even this structure. What's going on here? Today and tonight we'll look at it under this theme Our life is about pure worship and proper lordship, which must go together. Our life is about pure worship and proper lordship, which must go together. As we read through that text, there was all those references to what's set apart and to what's holy, the purity of worship, how it's to be cleansed and atoned for, how the people are to be ransomed, all these things that showed the purity of worship. And just as this tabernacle will illustrate Christ to us, it will also illustrate to us principles that we still operate according to and are governed by. We speak, boys and girls, a lot of what is called reverence and awe, that we worship in reverence and awe. That's that we behave, that we come with respect, that we come to hear God and we are devoting our attention to him, that we might glorify him properly. That's what reverence and awe is. That's why we worship with reverence and awe. Well, we get that from these type of texts, where the tent, the tabernacle, this place where the Old Testament saints worshipped, approached it with such fear, with such respect, with all these threats, lest a plague comes, lest you die, lest you be cut off, lest you use this sacred anointing oil for your own purposes lest you make this incense that you would perfume or burn for yourself, you would be cut off. shows the purity of worship, the respect and honor with which we approach God. And that's illustrated in this very chapter. We read of all these elements, even as we read a recipe for oil and incense. We read the ratios and what's in it. It's so exact, so restrictive, but in that way that illustrates the profound worship of God. Both pure worship and our proper understanding of lordship of God are fundamental to our life, fundamental to correct Christian living. In fact, both of these will always be under attack. The devil, our own flesh, the world will always attack the purity of worship and the lordship of Christ. And he can't have one without the other. We worship this way because the Lord is our Lord and has that right. He is our Lord, and so we worship. It's that circular reasoning, and not in a bad way. It's that perfect orb, worship 
and pure, pure worship, proper lordship go together. And we see that in this text. And we'll see that first in our first point, the pure worship by intercessory prayer. And this is where we look at the altar of incense. The altar of incense, as you see in the beginning of the text, was placed right next to the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. In fact, it was positioned in such a way that as the priest would approach this altar to, to sacrifice the incense, or not sacrifice, but offer the incense, there was the veil, and then in front of that, who the, the priest was facing was the, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the very image of God's throne on earth. And so the priest would enter and come to place the incense directly approaching the throne of God to offer this incense and to offer it daily. It was a daily routine. It happened in the morning as they tended the lampstand, trimmed the wicks, replenished the oil. And at the same time, they would burn that fragrant incense on the altar. And this routine was repeated at nightfall, morning and evening. The altar, as we read in our text, was only for incense. There was to be nothing else offered on it. In fact, we read that there was only supposed to be this specific blend that was offered on it. And if you were somewhat inclined towards trivia of the Old Testament, you would know that Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10 were killed by God because what they did is they offered unauthorized fire, unauthorized incense to the Lord, and thus were destroyed because of it. That's how important this is, this special blend of spices. And, and the point isn't just that God was upset, that they, he didn't get the exact recipe he wanted. The point was that they would so blaspheme him as to regard his command with so little weight you see how we get to the purity of worship? The reverence and awe with which we're supposed to approach our Lord? They discarded it, and thus they were judged. And that's what each threat in this passage shows. Each threat shows that if you will not honor my presence, you will not honor my worship, if you will not offer pure worship, there are consequences. There's death, there's cutting off. Worship the Lord matters. But what does this incense mean? Why all the fuss? Why all the fuss over this incense and what was offered? To understand what incense symbolized, we can see it through other passages where it's mentioned. I'll just say it right up front. Incense symbolized intercessory prayer through atonement. Intercession through atonement and prayer. That's what, inter in, that's what incense symbolized. And we see that. Numbers chapter 16, verses 44 and following describe a rebellion of an Israelite. Korah rebelled and sinned against the Lord. And there was a consequence, and this is what happened. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran in the midst of the assembly, and behold, the plague had already begun among the people, and he put on the incense and made the atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now, the sudden incense might seem pretty important, but why? We see it in that text we just read. There was intercession, there was atonement to be made. Moses said, quick, Aaron, go do this, take this, go bring incense, stand between the dead and the living, halt this plague. It was intercessory atonement through prayer. 
symbolization of incense is the prayers, the intercession of God's people, and specifically the intercession of the mediators, the priests, who would stand and, and burn that incense before the throne of God itself. We see, that it, we see that clearly in Psalm 141, the first two verses. It says, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The psalmist says, let my prayer be counted as incense to you. We see that connection. We also see in Luke Luke 1, verses 8 and following, when Zechariah was on duty, it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. This text shows that as Zechariah entered in to burn incense, all the people, all the congregation were outside praying, at the, as the text says, at the hour of incense. There was that connection. The priest is bringing the prayers to, the peop- to, to God, even as the people are praying. And last and most important, Revelation 5.8 gives us a picture of heaven, and it says the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All right, we know what incense symbolizes. It's, it very clearly symbolizes the prayers of the saints, but why does that matter? In God's abode, in his most holy abode, that was pure and righteous and holy, he would have a perpetual reminder of his people's petitions and prayers. In that, should we not rejoice? Before his throne, he made he made allowance for the prayers of his people. You know what else is interesting? This was a sweet-smelling aroma. It was beautiful. If you can picture what went on in the tabernacle, it would not have smelled good. Blood and burning, death of animals, all these things going on. It would have smelled, it would have smelled something fierce, we could say. And yet, what, what purified the air? What made it smell aromatic and beautiful? The very image of the people's prayers, and specifically the mediators, the priests' intercession for the people. Now we see there, again, a clear reference to Christ himself, who is our intercessor. Who, as the New Testament says, brings our petitions before God. Who, as the New Testament says, just as the priest would stand before the throne of God and alter this incense. Jesus Christ sits at the Father's own right hand and intercedes for us. Isn't it a beautiful depiction that God wants his, the prayers of his people and of his intercessors' prayers depicted in that beautiful way? It didn't smell rotten. God didn't give a recipe that would stink. Our prayers are perfected through our mediator, through Christ himself who intercedes, who brings it to God. And there's that reminder, even in the furnishings of the temple, a reminder how much God cared for his people and cares. We might think, oh, God was a stuffy, dangerous God, but look at that. That's not true. He was holy and to be feared. He was to be revered and considered with awe, but not one to be thought of in that way. He cared for his people, put the petitions 
of the saints before my throne continually, morning and evening, a sweet-smelling aroma. You would also notice as you look at this altar, this altar of incense, there's a connection with the bronze altar that there were sacrifices were made on outside the tent. Think of it this way. You have outside the actual tent structure, inside the courtyard, you approach the altar itself. It was constructed where the sacrifices were made. That altar, in its construction and in how it looked, was very similar to the altar of incense. Both are called altars. Both have horns on their four corners. And what's very interesting is that they apparently operated at the same time. They were apparently synchronized in their use. They were both used at dawn and dusk. So while a sacrifice of atonement was being made, as blood was being offered outside the tent, incense was being burned inside the tent. Atonement, and blood, and the petitions of the people, it was atoned for. There was atonement on and all. The altar of incense itself, as we read, was atoned for. Blood was put on it once a year to atone for it. And so the people could have confidence that their petitions and and their mediator's intercession was brought through an atoned piece of furniture, as it were. It was perfected in that Old Testament way, brought to the Lord, and that served as that daily reminder of what intercession was. True prayers can only come in this way, in that proper petitions to the Lord, and it comes with purity of worship. Don't miss, don't miss or lose the importance of worship. We've spent quite a bit of time, quite a few chapters, reading about furnishings. Why did we do that? We did that so we would see how important worship is. Just how important these ceremonies were. It was quite literally a matter of life and death. Not because God cares about all those little details in that way. It's reverence, it's purity of worship. And so what he did is he gave the Israelites an opportunity to show their respect and honoring of the Lord and how they could keep it purely. They could make sure they operated according to every command. They could make the the incense and the oil exactly as God has commanded to show how much they loved him and worshipped him. That's the point of the tabernacle. Let's not miss the importance of what we're even doing now. Let's not miss the importance of worship. Last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 150, which was that call to praise the Lord that that fundamental Christian duty was to praise the Lord. This chapter helps to see how they did it in the Old Testament, and as we apply it, we see how we do it now through Christ. We are privileged before God. God not only welcomes our prayers and intercession, he perfects them, he counts them as beautiful. We see that in the altar of incense. We also see in our second point the proper lordship seen in a census tax transitions from this altar of incense and what's going on there. And then we see this census tax. In verses 8 to 16, we read it's prescribed for the purposes of paying a ransom. We see that the reason is given, that there would be no plague among the people. It's possible that only the men, 20 years or old, were actually numbered. This was a common way of doing censuses in the Old Testament. However, our text just leaves it very general. Everyone, it's supposed, it says, 
And the price was the same for each individual. It was that half shekel that was to be offered for all. There was no delineation between rich or poor, and that wasn't a mark of of shame on the poor as if they had to give the same amount. It showed that each life was equal before God. Each life needed the same ransom for the Lord. Again, a picture of Christ that they need to be atoned for, a ransom, and it took the same for them all to be saved. And a reminder of what? What does a census and a ransom paid show? It shows the lordship of Christ. You don't pay an offering of ransom to the one who's not your lord. You pay it to the Lord himself. This reminded the people of their true allegiance, a universal need for atonement. You can see that in all of the threats. I want to just quickly go through the threats that we have in this passage in each section. The first section on this altar of incense we read in verse 9, You shall not offer unauthorized incense on the altar, or a burnt offering or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. The second section, which we're dealing with right now, the census, verse 12 says, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So they were to make sure they gave this ransom when a census was taken, that they would not be plagued. The third section in verses 20 to 21, when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash with their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. We see in the fourth section, verse 33, that this oil, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from the people. And then last, in verse 38, for the incense, whoever makes any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from his people. Worship is dangerous. Our Lord requires proper worship because he's the proper Lord. Worship and lordship go together. We worship him faithfully in that. And this is why today we approach with reverence and awe, not because we're afraid of these these threats that aren't against us anymore and ceremonies that we don't read, but we see how central worship is. But how does the census fit into this? This text shows that numbering the people was dangerous. Dangerous to take a census, and it was to be accompanied by a price paid. Why do we think that is? Whenever a monarch would wish to number his people, the true lordship was shown. If the monarch was to call for a census, it better be first through the right reasons, at the command of the Lord, and when they did that, every person paid a ransom for their life to the Lord. The king wasn't the Lord. If you are thinking of the census David took, you can see what happened. David takes a census, and then there's this plague that comes. And no doubt, David was doing it for the wrong reasons, not at the command of the Lord. And we read of no census tax taken, and thus a plague comes. This census tax would have been unpopular. The people would not have wanted to pay such a sum just so their ruler could number his military. And so it was a check. It was a check against the pride of the monarch. But it was, first and foremost, a declaration that these people do not belong to the monarch, but to the Lord. And so if you're going to number my people, God says, you pay me for each head. Because they're mine. They are to be ransomed and atoned for. That's what a census shows. In combination with proper worship, 
the lordship of God, and it shows that proper lordship. Only the monarch, the rightful monarch, could receive that census, that tax, as it were. Verse 16, in fact, calls this money atonement money. It was for the service of the tent of meeting. And you see as well that it was to bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord. And so that money itself, again, served as a picture of Christ that was making ransom and atonement for each individual that cost the same amount. And so we see that in the census. We'll go quickly through this. We've covered the next point in depth in other places. So we're just going to briefly revisit it. And that's pure worship through ceremonial cleansing. We see this in the bronze basin. This is our third point. We see here that in this bronze basin, it was called a sea. You would enter into the tabernacle, and next to the altar, there would be this great basin of water in which the priests would cleanse and wash themselves. We see that the priest's washing of hands and feet is symbolic of the need to keep their deeds and their walk pure before God. In the ordination of these priests, they would have had a full body washing. That was in chapter 29. Here we see that there was a perpetual and a continual washing of hands and feet. The text says that this was needed so that they would not die. What did this serve to show but that these priests needed to be cleansed? They were unholy, and yet with this cleansing basin, they were now able to approach. So it shows, one, that they were not holy and unworthy to enter, but with cleansing, God allowed them to enter. Again, a picture of Christ in those two ways. First, it's a picture of Christ that these priests weren't enough. These priests needed to be cleansed, showing that this order of priests couldn't accomplish it. Daily cleansing, whenever they were going to enter the temple, their, their perpetual sin needed to be washed, showing the need for a new and better high priest. But also this basin is fulfilled in its very purpose in Christ. The basin symbolically purified the priests, and thus they could enter. Christ himself is he who purifies his people, cleanses them and allows them to enter. So even that basin of water, that sea that you would wash in, presents us Christ. It's no mistake that Jesus performed many miracles that touched the ceremonially unclean. In the New Testament, Jesus walks around and does his ministry, and he encounters lepers. He encounters those who were maimed. He encounters those who had no business and no place approaching God because they bore marks of the curse, marks of shame. These people could not enter. They could not approach the temple. By the mere presence, the mere touch of Christ, they're healed, they're cleansed, they're able to enter into worship, and that's what God does, what Christ does for each of us. You see all of this meaning. You see, our life is about pure worship, about proper lordship. They go together. You know, we understand that Jesus' earthly ministry better when we understand what this temple signifies. You see, as we see him cleanse these people, as we see him cleanse lepers, as we see those with skin diseases being healed by Christ himself, we understand those people couldn't enter. They couldn't approach God per this Old Testament ceremonial law, and now they can. Just the depiction of, of the gospel. Those who were lowly and set apart who could not approach God. We can't bring a prayer, a petition, or a worship at all to the Father without bringing the sweet smell of His Son. 
What do I mean by that as we close? I want to finish that we would end on this thought. Whenever we bring a prayer to God, whenever we enter his presence in that way, what we're bringing to the Father's own nostrils, as it were, is the smell of Christ. That incense was a sweet-smelling aroma set aside particularly for worship. All vessels and every part of the temple was to be be sanctified with a special oil. All this was a reminder that it was these things that set them apart. And as the priests approached with their incense, they were offering this pleasant aroma that hasn't ended for us. Every time you pray, you enter God's presence as one washed in the sea and cleansed by Christ, one atoned for with his blood, anointed with his oil, coming with his incense. And when we approach God, he he smells his son, the true high priest. We are thus able to give to the Lord pure worship, not because we're doing that right now. We're not. We're not able, but it's perfected in Christ. Our life is about pure worship, proper lordship, and these go together. We worship our Lord in reverence and awe, purity, and ultimately in true love and honor. Let's go before our Lord and praise him for these great truths. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you seeing this this temple, this tabernacle, a tent set apart for worship. We see these ceremonies long since put away in Christ, and yet we see in them a beauty, a beauty as they were a precursor, a foreshadowing of Christ himself. And we come before you to praise our great Savior. We come before you to offer pure worship, to bring before you our prayers as an offering of incense, which we know comes to you through our great priest as he sits at your right hand, perfecting our prayers, interceding for us, cleansing us. And this is our great privilege, our great joy, is to rebound with the image of Christ. Our great joy is to put before you as the Father the greatest image we can, who we are in Christ what Christ has accomplished. This is our desire. We pray this would not be lost on us in our worship of you. We are engaged in something so profound, so blessed to worship you in these ways. We thank you for the privilege. We pray that our worship would always be before you a sweet-smelling aroma in our Savior.